Welcome back to another edition of the Watering Hole podcast brought to you by the uh, Friant Water Authority. Very excited about today's guest. He is someone that many of you have read, uh, many of you probably agree with, um, but not many of you have seen him or heard him. You've just uh, gotten exposed to him through his written word. His name is Don Wright. He has a blog called The Water Rights, and he provides a service that is really unparalleled. And that is, he goes around the valley attending board meetings uh, at water agencies and water districts and reports back to his, uh, to his membership or to the public about what he hears at these board meetings and the engagement and the back and forth that takes place at all these board meetings. And as you know, there's many things going on today that are uh, really important um, and in some cases very troubling uh, for the future of California and the future of California's water supply. So the service that Don provides is, again, it's unparalleled. No one else does it. And so we're going to get into a little bit uh, today with Don and find out um, who he is, uh, what he likes to do, and maybe for most of you what you might be interested in is how in the world did he get into this business that he's in. So Don, thank you for joining the Watering Hole. Appreciate you coming by. I'm excited to be here, Johnny, and I appreciate the opportunity to to interact a little bit more with the Friant folk. Well, we're looking forward to it. And like I said before, I, uh, you know, from my perspective, even going back to before I was at Friant, um, reading your reports every day, sometimes every day, depending on the week, uh, several times a week at, at minimum, um, is very helpful for me. And I know many, many, many hundreds or thousands of others who, who just want to know what's going on uh, maybe outside of their own boardroom. So we appreciate the work that you do, Don. Thank so you thank very you. much. Um, can you tell the our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, where you grew up, how okay. you ended up where you're at now, just to give a little background? Well, I was actually born at Fort Ord, but my earliest memories were in San Joaquin uh, in the western Fresno County. My father worked for James Irrigation District, and my grandfather was a farmer. Now, my mom's side came from Georgia, and my grandfather was a farmer. He did work for Boswell, but not initially. He just happened to work for Boswell. But there was that connection. And then my dad, God bless him, he, uh, well, he came out here when he was 14 by himself and started picking melons. He came from Salisaw, which any readers of Steinbeck would recognize as the home of the Jodes in Grapes of Wrath. So I kind of had both sides of that growing up. Um, ended up graduating from Clovis High got got involved in, in rodeo there. I, I tell people I've had two failed careers, saddle bronc rider and musician. <laughs> um, but I did enjoy, and rodeos kept me out of, out of drugs for the most part. It was a very wholesome environment, and there was something very challenging about, I'm going to get on this bull or this bronc. Am I going to survive it? Of course, you know, when you're 14 years old. I started riding bulls when I was 13, and, you know, you don't have a sense of your mortality is not as well established as when you're in your 60s. Indestructible, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> but man, it was fun and, and, and it was a good it was a good introduction for life. Uh, Clovis High grad, I was on the 13-year plan to get my four-year degree from Fresno State. I, so, I, so double, triple doctorate then? You think? <laughs> uh, I, I think I probably if you added all the units together, I probably could have at least a <laughs> master's, but I had a little trouble with math. Um, in fact, I had a lot of trouble with math. I flunked intermediate algebra four times, which, well, I okay, 
That's how it worked. Hey, you made a run at it. You gave it, as they say, the old I, college try. I did. I finally took some course during summer school that allowed me to get my math requirement out of the way when the computers didn't kick me out. I was pretty good at, at, at geometry, turned out, because I'd been a carpenter and home builder, you know, so I understood angles and planes and things, but there was something about imaginary numbers. I just disconnected right at Anyway, what had the least math requirements? Speech communication. Come to find out, Fresno State has one of the oldest speech communication departments in the nation and is very well respected. Getting a BA from Fresno State in speech communication is like getting a doctorate from Harvard in ancient Babylonian astronomy when it comes to getting a job. <laughs> very useful. Very. But actually, I, 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 I can re I've retained two things, the safer wharf theory that says you can only um, think up to the limit of your vocabulary, which is kind of the idea behind Newspeak and Orwell, eight, 1984, Orwellian thought. And now I can't even think of what the other thing I remembered. Oh, the, the Johari window, which is, I know something about, well, there's four panes to this window. I know something about myself that nobody else knows. You know something about me that we both know. You know something about me that I don't know. And the fourth pain is, there's something about me neither of us know. And that translates to everybody, so it could reverse to you. That's been kind of helpful in, in helping to uh, divide up how to categorize situations and, and knowledge. And, and I pray that I've learned over the years to be a little more kind and a lot less snarky about people and their faults. Because really what this whole business is, is yeah, I write about water. I write about districts. I write about growers and the state. Bryant, they deliver water to the, but we're in the people business because everybody truly needs water. And it's an exciting field to be in. Yeah, it really is. That's um, it's interesting background. You know, it's as you get, I mean, I'm pushing 50 now. Uh -huh. And same thing. I mean, I can remember when I got into the professional world, I basically thought I knew everything. Um, <laughs> well, why don't take you my, down a notch, my, won't it? Yeah, it does. Um, but you, you spend a lot of time thinking that, though. You spend a lot of time thinking, I've got this all figured out until you realize you don't. And as I've gotten, you know, further into my career and even in my family life, I've, I've, one thing I've learned is to talk less and listen more. And, um, and I think people who know me from a long time ago would say, yeah, that wasn't the Johnny of 20 years ago or 15 <laughs> years ago, but that's definitely the Johnny today. I mean, I, I mean, undoubtedly I have a, I think it's not a matter of question, I have pretty strong opinions about just about everything on water and politics. I mean, I've got just strong opinions, but I just learned it's, you know, it was from one of the books that I read that perhaps people that you're sitting with might know more than you do on certain things and maybe it's worth listening. And so that's kind of what I do. But I'm not afraid to share my opinion still, which right. I know what's interesting to me about what you do when you come to, like, for example, a Friant board meeting. Um, most of the people that come that sit in the public, the public area, um, listen, just sit there and listen. And you do that, obviously, and you're typing away on your, on your laptop. But you're not afraid to engage and ask questions or ask for clarification or make suggestions. And um, it is pretty rare. I will say at most yeah. of these public meetings, um, I mean, there are in every meeting there are some who who who, who like to chime in and, and engage, um, but it is rare. And I we do believe it or not, I mean, 
I don't know if you know this, but we do appreciate when the public is engaged in what we're doing because what happens at the Friant Water Authority board room affects not just farms in no, the Friant service area. I mean, it, everyone is tethered together. I mean, funding for churches or funding for you know yeah. schools and, churches, and philanthrop yeah. philanthropic giving and and you know tax base and the local mechanic shop and the furniture store. I mean, it's all tethered together, and so it's. Uh, um, it, it, I think it's important for the public to be engaged, so that's why we're appreciative. I, I still get a little like bit. I still get a little bit tongue-tied when I have to interrupt a meeting because I want to be very respectful of the board's time. But you know, acronyms and initials, for one thing, mm -hmm. the jargon is so specialized. And if you don't know what, I mean, to me, there's an acronym, NASA. You know the difference between an acronym and initials. Um, you're going to tell Ac me. Yes, I'm going to tell you. An acronym is a word. It becomes a word. It's almost like uh, Kleenex. Yeah. Kleenex is a brand name, but but we all call Kleenex as clean. You know. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. An acronym is NASA. We don't have to explain, and it forms a word. USBR. That's an initial. United States Bureau of Reclamation. Most of us understand that and read it, but doggone, you know, you have to. There's new thing. Oh, I was reading about O M and R. I've heard of O&M for years. All of a sudden, where did this R come from? And who came out? I'd, I'd like to know. Who said it was okay to use R? We can give you uh, we can give you thousands of pages of reclamation code and rules so you can see where, where all the acronyms come from. But I agree, there are, in government, and, and you have to stop and interrupt. In general, government in general, there's acronyms up yeah. the wazoo. There's no doubt about and, it. And that's fine. It's technical and, it, and it's, uh, it's helpful to a degree. Uh, I was out a Sigma... A Sigma program that was broadcast on television live by KMPH and one of the managers they asked how are we, there I use Sigma but hopefully yeah, yeah, this audience them, yeah. is, is aware of the uh, oh, sustainable they, groundwater they, they are believe me and one of the managers that was being interviewed they asked about funding he said oh we'll probably have to run a 218 mm -hmm. and it just passed on my thought okay everybody lost it why are you even putting this on television mm -hmm. If you're going to say 218, you better explain and what nobody, it is. Nobody who who there was most of that room was full of the audience and I bet you if if you didn't delve into that I'm not trying to say that I'm so smart. Yeah. I'm just saying I had to ask what a 218 election was. Yeah. And I still get a little bit tripped up on it even after all these years. But see now when I got out of, when I finally got out of Fresno state um, I didn't want to be a drug smuggler. I didn't want to go back to construction. I wanted, I, I wasn't making it in rodeo. Obviously. I'm too old, I'm 30. Oh my God, that's too old. So what made you decide not to be a drug smuggler? I'm just curious. Oh, just, just the <laughs> family pressure. Okay, good idea. Well, I see my dad, good you know, them. Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, marijuana grows wild. <laughs> and and uh, when I graduated, I went back to Oklahoma to visit with my dad. And he we were at the auto body shop for some reason, and there was a bunch of cop cars, and they were all beat up, and the owner, said, well, they'd been doing a, a drug burn. They'd done a pot burn. And that's and somehow or other on the road, they'd got hit a tree or something, and that's why it was all binged up. It wasn't like a high-speed chase. I go, it grows wild here. And Dad goes, yeah, you ought to just take your load back to California with you. Because <laughs> my, my father was the funniest man who ever lived. Uh, however, I told my cousin that, and he was my second cousin, my mom's age. So when I got back to California, she thought I was going to be a drug smuggler. She goes, are you really talking about bringing it? I go, no, Mom, that was a joke. <laughs> Bless your heart. So that was why I decided to, well, I never want yeah, to do that. Right. But 
you know, I, I got I like music and I like I enjoy writing. I enjoy the ability. We were talking a little earlier about the difference between the spoken word and the written word. Uh, the written word, you can sit down, you can break out the thesauruses, if I pronounce that correctly, and choose the exact word. Ooh, and you can order that. Now I'm going to change this. And pretty soon, if you put a little time into it, you've got a cogent sentence and a, maybe a thought that, that runs through something and has a beginning, a middle, and a resolution at the end, summation. But speaking, you can't ever take that back. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and, and actually the written... You can't take that back either. So I don't even send out emails or texts that I wouldn't want everybody in the world to read. Yeah, I just won't do it. You can. Get, I have seen more people crash themselves into that freeway abutment needlessly because they didn't stop and use that discernment of when to send something out. Mm -hmm. I speak way too much as it is, like most of us. I do better listening. I'd be better off. And, and yeah. what was it, Mark Twain? You can, or maybe as Will Rogers, you can remain silent and leave them guessing, or you can speak up and prove you're a fool. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, well, there's a lot of lessons to be learned, but um, but you know, it, actually, you. before we end this first segment, um, it's actually a pretty good segue. Oh, I'm pointing at you, sorry. It's actually I, a good segue. Thought you're looking at a no. clock or something. Um, I th I have had conversations with people who have asked. Uh, who read your reports and say, how did Don get into this? How did you get into attending board meetings, writing up reports, sending it out there, getting sponsors for your service? How, how does this even start? All right, I'll try not to make this too long if we're on a timeline with it, but I wanted, I, I enjoyed music. So I became a music critic. My first job was at a small weekly tabloid. And by the way, tabloid doesn't mean National Enquirer, just it's the size yeah. of the paper, uh -huh. the physical size, 11 by 17 or 14 by 17. And I started writing about music. Uh, it was not a very lucrative thing. Thank God I lived across the street from the offices so I could walk. I wasn't, I was just not making any money, stood alone, car breakdown, that's too bad. Uh -huh. But I loved it. I loved the layout back when cut and paste meant an exacto knife. <laughs> and you literally cut the stuff out, yeah. and it was, I just, I'd never experienced anything so, it engaged me completely, and, uh, but I wasn't making the money, and there was a county supervisor named Doug Vagum, uh, who needed an assistant, and I had gotten to know him a little bit, and I got that gig, and it was beautiful. So you work you work for Ve County Supervisor Vagum. Yeah, I was his like chief of staff. Oh, okay. I didn't. Well, there's a staff of one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you, you, you like managed that. yourself. I managed. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Okay, so you have a little background in politics. Obviously, had, you're exposed to water and other issues, land use issues, and other. And so, at some point, your love of issues and your love of writing morphed into. What I'm doing now, yeah, I could, I learned, I learned one thing there: how to sit through long, boring meetings, yeah. and try to try to start engaging and 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 finding out why they have to take place, and then they're not as boring as they yeah. as you think. Well, um, they're mostly boring, but yeah, sometimes there's some good issues happening that yeah. uh, require. Yeah, well, there's a, we'll get to this in a bit. Heart rate up, but but the uh, it's okay. From there, um. He didn't get reelected, and they transferred me over to the welfare department to do collections. If you really want an uplifting 
day, uh, go to the welfare department and try to get the money back that the county shouldn't have spent out in the first place. Yeah. And it was kind of sad, too, because most of that money is going to foster homes. Now, I, if you have a foster child, I'll, I'll pay you 1000 a week for that kid, or whatever it was, I can't remember. And that kid runs, runs away from home for two days. You're supposed to deduct 48 hours and reimburse the county for that 1000 I gave you as the county. Mm -hmm. So the bill, I mean, it was insane. Mm -hmm. It was really bad. And these people, they're just trying to help children. Uh, I worked at that, and I just couldn't stand it. So I started my own newspaper, and I whipped that dead what was horse. That, what was that called? It was called Bright Lights. I was actually literally living in the uh, Warner's Theater in downtown Fresno. Mm -hmm. um, and I put it out. I tried. I, I wanted to build because the, 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 the tabloid had gone away. The weekly had gone away. Fresno at the time was the biggest city in California without a weekly newspaper, a viable weekly mm -hmm. newspaper. And I thought it's arts entertainment, little politics. At that time, the revitalization was a super hot topic downtown. The putting in the stadium was a big issue. And like I said, I whipped that dead horse down the street for down the sidewalk for three years, sold it, went to work for the business journal. Now here's where you'll find out how I ended up doing what I'm doing now. They didn't have an ag writer at that time. I thought, what in the world? This is Fresno, the business mm -hmm. journal. So I said, I want the ag beat. Uh, and I'd had, you know, FFA, we had cattle yeah. and horses and all of that. I had never grown crops, and I'm not particularly good at it. Uh, but I did know I got to cover ag and, of course, water. At that point, they were putting in a water bank in Madera. This is yeah. over 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Enron was stomping around down in that garden and, and getting everybody mad. Pretty soon the pitchforks and the torches came out and ran Enron mm -hmm. off, and they went away. Well, after they fired me the second time at the Business Journal, because you get fired a lot in media. I mean, I'm, I'm not counting Range Magazine and, and the news editor gig and talk radio that I had. All this, I'm just sticking with the, the main highlights here. Dozens and dozens of, of publications I've written for. Well, after they fired me from the Business Journal, there's a guy we should all know named Mark Arax. You should all be reading his books, The King of California, Actually, the my father's name about the murder of his father, you'll get history in the valley that you'll never have known that applies to, to today and to water. King of California, the Boswells. I don't know how the heck he got Jim Boswell to let him drive him around in a truck with him and talk. I was trying to do super high positive stories on Boswell, and they wouldn't talk to him. Mm -hmm. Here comes Arax. Rides around the truck with him. Yeah. Brilliant guy. Anyway, they found Chandra Levy's body. Up uh, back, and she was from Modesto. Yeah. She, you may remember, was an intern that was fooling around with a congressman, or he was fooling around with her. She was murdered, and he was suspect. Well, I went up there and covered it for the LA Times. I didn't really cover it, I just what they call stranger work. That means I go to the site, gather information, I called it back to Mark, he wrote the story. The next day, above the fold, front page, LA Times, I don't even remember the headline, Levy Body Found by Mark Arax and Don Wright. Mm -hmm. This man gave me a co-byline on a major story of international interest. Front page above the fold, largest paper west of the Appalachians. Well, good on him. You did the work, right? I did some work, but I, 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 I should have got like an italic at the bottom. <laughs> uh, Don Wright contributed, attaboy, yeah. attaboy Don. But you were in the byline. But he yeah. gave me a byline, which, and then, and, and, uh, 
Mark and I don't see eye to eye on politics, a lot of stuff, but I consider him one of my best friends. Now, from there I did the Scott Peterson murder trial while it was still in the valley. I did a bunch of murder and mayhem. There was a company that was trying to redo the Madera Water Bank, and I, my profile was really pretty high for, you know, this guy that flunked algebra four times <laughs> at Fresno State, and this company out of LA uh, heard about me. They, they wanted somebody in the valley that knew a little bit about ag, and um, well, I won a couple of awards for my ag writing. Excuse me if I talk soft. I'm trying not to brag, but my <laughs> profile was at the right place at the right time. And I started, thank you to Liz Hudson from Fresno County Farm Bureau who helped me with this, Mark Arax, all these guys. It turned out that they needed somebody to go around and write about these irrigation districts and to help with the water bank in Madera. And that was my introduction. How long ago was that? 20 years. So you started going from district to district, district 20, years, 20 ago. years ago. And then when did this, was that a service that was provided just for a specific just, number of just people? Just for this company called Renewable Resource, uh, excuse me, Western Development Storage. Mm -hmm. A very honorable bunch, by the way. They like to keep a super low profile. <laughs> Uh, I understand that it's water. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like the secret agent guy in the back typing that people don't go to these meetings. So who's that bastard back there taking notes, you know? It was 10 years before somebody was friendly to me. Mm -hmm. And it was at a Fryant meeting. Paul Hendricks, the former Tulare ID general manager, turned around and said, hi, who are you? Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then eventually uh, the company I was consulting for doing this writing, they got so big, they, I mean, they didn't need me. Mm -hmm. They really didn't. And they, we amiably parted. I still occasionally have conversations, and, and, and I have a, a fond memory of them. So so what was created back then morphed into a, a, a kind of a private business that you that yeah, you do I had Well, you, I had to do some. Well, one of the, my problems was I was a consultant. Um, you shouldn't have 98% of your income coming from one client. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. So I did, I had to scramble quite a bit. And, but I started building up this, the, the water rights website. And it's been, I started in 2017. So that was like about 18 years with the, with the uh, you know, 17, 18 years with being paid to go mm -hmm. do this until now I pay myself. Yeah. So really I've actually turned into an ad salesman. Yeah. Because you know that's yeah. the business side of okay it. Well, that's helpful I, I i had no idea so and I, and I suspect that there's some there's some that probably know but there's i suspect there's a lot more that don't well so this is fun because as a reporter i have to ask the questions and my opinions you know this is kind of i'm enjoying this yeah. thank you very much johnny appreciate it well thank you um when we come back from the break, we're going to dig a little bit deeper in a few things, um, kind of get your personal opinion about some issues that are going on right now, um, and then uh, we'll close up after that. But uh, you're listening to the Friant uh, Watering Hole, uh, sitting here with our guest, Don Wright from Water Rights. Uh, we'll see you on the turn. And we're back with our guest, Don Wright, the owner, operator, K 
king of waterrights.net where you go to get all your information about what's going on in the water world. Um, and uh, pleased to have him here today uh, on our podcast and um, looking forward to the rest of this conversation. You know, Don, uh, one of the things that occurred to me when I read your, uh, uh, your write-ups and, your, and I browse through your website and see you at our meetings is um, you must have opinions about things. <laughs> and knowing that you're a, you're a journalist, um, and I know it may not be the same these days as it was 20 years ago, but you know, journalists are not supposed to have opinions. I know that's, that whole thing's been flipped on its head in recent years um, where opinions become news. But human, it's human nature, right? People have opinions. And I, I've always thought, boy, Don goes to all these meetings and he hears about all these issues and in many cases all these problems that so many people are having to deal with. I wonder what he thinks about these things. And so, like for example, we have, uh, we have this, this tug of war, so to speak, going on right now between uh, policies that were put in place during the previous administration, the Trump administration, yes. re directly related to how water is managed in California, and now kind of a, a reaction to that by the new, the new administration, the Biden administration, how they're going to deal with, uh, well, how water is moved in California. I mean, it's, it's important to remind people, I know our audience knows this, but if there's anybody new to this podcast, the only way the California water system works in California is as everybody understands that 80% of the water that this state is blessed with falls north of the Delta and 80% of the demand for water is somewhere south of the Delta. So if, if you don't have a system in place that allows for the movement of that water, then you have chaos, which is what you have in most years. Now, this year is dry. There's, you know, that's not a matter of debate. It's a dry year, one of the driest years ever recorded. But it is also undeniable that this year was made much, much worse from previous decisions in previous years. I mean, the, the hydrology in California, that, that has been pretty uh, predictable over the course of the last hundred years. We get heavy rain and snow, followed by periods of drought, followed by periods of heavy rain and snow, followed by, I mean, that's the cycle of California. That's the way it's been for as long as it's been recorded. And it's why this entire system in California was built anticipating that that is how hydrology and the water supply comes in California. It ebbs and flows. So we have this really elaborate system of reservoirs and canals and pump stations to anticipate that, that, that expect that to be the case. So you move water and store water in wet years so that you have it in dry years. It's a pretty simple concept that's become overly complicated in the last three decades because of laws and regulations. So I wonder what you think about just how water is managed in California. Do you, do you and this may be a leading question. I think I, might, I know what your answer might be, but generally speaking, what, what are your thoughts on how water is managed in California? Well, one word, poorly, but not by the growers and not by the agencies that deal in water delivery. It's being managed poorly in Sacramento I can't say the government is our enemy. It's supposed to be our servant, but it's certainly become our adversary. Uh, I have mar I married a nice little sweet Cajun gal back in Louisiana, and I go back there 
we go back quite a bit and I get to visit with the Farm Bureau and by the way they love pistachios that whole state is just insane the Cajuns and pistachios are like peanut butter and jelly they can't grow them back there so pistachio growers flood that market man <laughs> I get I get crucified if I don't bring a crate of pistachios with me when I go back there but you go into their Farm Bureau you talk to their growers the state is an ally I haven't heard that here in California and not in the Central Valley now as you recall, I, I said I started off as a music, as an entertainment writer, and I've been around some very creative people. Waylon Jennings, got to ride around the bus with him, you know. He's one of my favorite guys I ever wow. met, yeah. And his, the people that work with him, and, and dozens more like him, right? I've never met anybody as creative as an irrigation district general manager trying to get water to his. I'm not saying that to flatter those guys. But most people don't go to these meetings. They don't know what someone like Michael Hagman or Aaron Fakuda or uh, uh, Bill Stretch. I mean, these cats are, are scrambling on behalf of, they're the, if you ever read Atlas Shrugged by Ann Rand, the engine, they are the engine. The ir irrigation districts, the JPAs like Fryant, like San Luis Delta Mendota. I, what, I, what I find f so frustrating I can. I'm gonna. I'll rag on the government here in a minute at length. I mean, we we could turn this into a five-hour podcast if you want to just talk about what a bunch of donkeys they are. Ooh, donkeys. Perhaps that, that's a very polite that, way. Very polite way of saying it. Yes, perhaps the double entendre there will. Uh, <laughs> I get reach it. Out. Yes. So I'm Portuguese, but you know I'm not that thick. Yeah. I, uh, Portuguese have great sense of humor. Like, <laughs> how many farmers have you heard dairy guys throw that bull over the fence? Some hay. <laughs> so, farmers do a crappy job of telling their story. They're like herding cats. Now, I realize that the I use journalist math. So what I did was I added up the the crop reports from I think it was 2018, and doesn't really matter because I can't remember the exact figures. I do have them written down. Madera, Kings, Fresno, Tulare, Kern County, five counties. The combined Farm gate value, thirty billion. That's the average year, thirty billion. Now, when high speed rail comes through, they say we're using an economic multiplier of seventeen. I used an economic multiplier of three. That means just these five counties are producing ninety billion dollars in economic output directly because of ag, which is directly dependent upon surface water. Per year, farm gate. Per farm gate's farm gate. thirty billion. Right. And and you know the farm gate yeah. for you know, that's the value of the, the cotton yeah. on the bowl, the nut on the tree, the milk yeah. in the udder. That doesn't count pizza all the other sauce yeah. and yogurt. About the multipliers, yeah. Right. So just three, a very conservative three. Ninety billion. I don't think Hollywood does that. I'm not sure. But Well we um Farmers. That's just just five counties. So tell me, Johnny. I know I know these are different figures than Doctor Sundig came up with, and it could be because he has a PhD in economics. And again, I <laughs> looked out it before time. But using journalist math, so why aren't farmers? How, how come they're not a little higher on the pecking order? There's a guy named uh, Wade Crowfoot, who's the what Secretary of Nat uh, Resources. Natural Resources. He's on the governor's cabinet. Mm -hmm. I, was talk I got to interview him one day. He said, you know when the teachers union has a 5% uh, 
you know, they want a 7% pay raise and they only get a 5%. There's 2,000 of them wearing matching t-shirts climbing all over the Capitol. When something hits ag, two farmers might show up. I know that nobody, I'm not, and I'm not bragging on myself, but nobody's covering this stuff. The public's not aware. I sat through a California Water Commission Prop 1 hearing. They're going to give away $6 billion for surface storage, right? I was the only one there for the press. The, Sa the Kings River is up, is before the state board for a fully appropriated stream status uh, hearing. Nobody covered it but me. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. Probably none of them are good excuses. I don't But, I, for example, like using the example that Secretary Crowfoot used, um, I'm not trying to pick on teachers here, but a teacher can show up for a protest or a, a day of advocacy, quote unquote, not lose a day, not lose a day's pay. Yeah. Not I mean, there's no. They've got the summers off, or, or yeah, yeah, or whatever. I mean, but could, even yeah. if it, even if it's not during the summer, you can, they can do that with pretty much all the liberty they need. Um, farmers, on the other hand, again, these are reasons, not excuses. No matter how stiff the headwind is, no matter how much resistance the farmers. Uh, for the last few decades have gotten from because of government regulations they've got crops to produce right they've got people to keep employed they've got processors that are expecting product they've got obligations and and in some cases I think farmers in, a, in the nicest way are their own worst enemy because despite all the regulations despite all the water cutoffs despite all that they've still most of them have still found a way to persevere and not only persevere to grow, yeah, um, and so to me, it's a it should be something that is admired, that is praised, that is rewarded, uh, but instead we get caught we in the valley because it's not just the farmers; it's everyone in the valley gets caught in this, uh, in this basically this tailspin of, and we're part basically collateral damage of a political war. Yes, and so yeah. and so you have when you have issues and entire cottage industries that have been developed that are multi-million dollar annually cottage industries to demonize farming yeah. or the use of water, to take water and turn it into fiber or food, that's somehow yeah. demonized. Uh, and, and it's millions upon millions upon millions of dollars that generate every year just to try to make a farmer, the farmers look like the bad guys. Yeah. It's tough to overcome that, uh, again, Reasons, not excuses. I mean, we the the farming industry should have should match every dollar that goes into fighting them to with money that goes in to protect them. There's no doubt about that. Um, and in some cases, you know, there's commodity groups, there's yeah. there's farm organizations that do it. But I mean, what we're talking about, we're talking about the difference between taking uh, a knife to a gunfight, yeah. and in some cases. The, the, the pro-ag interests are, are very much interested in educating the public and less interested in fighting for those who they represent. And, that, and there's a difference. There's a there big a difference. difference. There needs to be both. Yeah. Recently, the State Water Resources Control Board put out for public comment a resolution titled Condemning racism, xenophobia, and racial injustice and strengthening commitment to racial equity 
diversity, inclusion, access, and anti-racism. Let me read a couple of a couple of portions of this uh, of this resolution. Now, this is a resolution that the state board of which are it's headed by five yep. unelected people. Mm-hmm. They they gave they took a team put together a team of public employees to go and and develop this resolution. Uh, well, here's a quote by their executive director, Alan Sobick. There could not be a more critical challenge facing us at this time than the challenge of achieving racial equity. And before we go any further, let me be clear. There's a very, very big difference between equity and equality. Equality means we start out equal. You and I got to grow up here. Indigenous, which is another beef of mine, we're all indigenous. Were you born in California, Johnny? Yes, I was. I was too. We're both indigenous Californians. Uh, What color are you? What do I look? I don't know. Flesh, tone, whitish? Olive. Olive, okay. (laughs) I'm a bit a little on the yellow-white side. But we ha- we are people of color. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Why that's important. Anyway, uh, the state board's mission is uh, the staff have been um, there's a there's an outfit called GARE G A R E the Government Alliance for Racial Equity. Uh, they get, let me get back to that. Okay, I'm sorry. This is a great opportunity for your son to use discretion here. <laughs> Equity. Equality is when we all start the same. We both had the opportunity to go to school to do something with ourselves. Or not, it's equal. Equity means we both end up in the same spot no matter what. Yeah, so the, they, the way it's been, the way... It's this, a Marxist this is, term. This, is part of, this has been part of the public debate for, I want to say, about 15... It's really been amplified in the last 15 years or so, and it's, it is the difference between equality of opportunity and equality of outcomes. Equality of outcomes. I can't think of a of a worse doctrine uh, that we could put in place here in Cal- uh, California or the country. But that's where a lot of this debate. This is, is the woke and stuff. So, and we're going to get into this. Yeah. Let me let me tell you. It's, it's it is woke racism. Listen here, page five of this resolution. Whereas number twenty two, the national and worldwide backlash against racism toward black people and related. Black Lives Matter protests of 2020 accelerated and informed the Water Board's decision to develop and initiate this resolution and subsequent action plans to address racial inequities. Oh, so now the, the Water Board is supposed to be rectifying all the injustices perceived or, or not? Look, call me crazy, but I think uh, uh, depriving people of water which is what virtually every regulation and law and decision that's come down the last 30 years has done, that to me is the, that w- that's what needs to be addressed. I mean, I, I can't, look, um, to me, anything, any st- governmental organization that has the word water in it ought to be thinking about ways to make sure people have water that they're, that either that they, uh, are contractually entitled to receive or water they can drink from their tap. And it shouldn't be one of these things where we're talking about, um, in essence, identity politics, which yeah. is, it's just been, uh, you know. Well, here's your identity. The Water Board now acknowledges white supremacy as a systemically and institutionally perpetuated system. 
of exploitation and oppression, the colonization, displacement, and murder of indigenous people in the United States. And they say it's all for the white economic gain. Yeah, I, uh, it's, I, gonna I just, I, in fact, I just learned about this a couple of days ago, and I, I just can't, in, in a year where we're dealing with actual drought made worse by decades of regulations and laws piled on top of one another, it just seems to me that there ought to be more focus on, you know what, why don't we make this damn system and, work? And let's remember this too, it is not climate change that's causing the forest to burn. That's not why. Yeah, no, we, that, as that, you that, said, that, we've had, when I was a kid, we'd have a month with over 100 degree temperatures. But we've got 40 million people living here on a system designed for 16 million, and they're not willing to invest. I mean, look at the struggle. Yeah, but Friday even that, had. I don't even fall into that trap, Don, because people say that all the time. But I frequently remind people that even the system that we have in place today, I mean, it's ridiculous that even after Prop 1 and even going back to the Clinton administration that there aren't other storage facilities online, but even the system in place today, if managed properly, does not create shortages. It creates abundance. The problem is it's not managed properly. And it's not managed, and it's not managed equally, to quote you, yeah. or fairly. It doesn't make any sense. And so yeah. this stuff's all got to come. I mean, you're going to get my blood boiling here. but I know. Um, and me too. It seems to me there ought to be... There. But let's cut it to the chase, Johnny. This stuff is based on hate. Where does hate come from? Hate comes from fear. Fear comes from pride. If I'm proud of myself, which I am, I'm a fallen creature, developed, created, I get scared because things aren't going my way and it hurts my pride and I don't want to look weak, so I get angry. This is where we have them. If we respond to this nonsense with love, because what is more loving than to grow a crop and feed a baby? That's a good, that's, that's our strength. But we're gonna all have to do something. Even if it's just a little bit, we're all gonna have to do something. Because if we sit around and do nothing and wait for somebody else who doesn't do anything, we're gonna get what they give us. We're not gonna like it. Yeah. Um, so if we keep that as the foundational point of our, of our dealing with, with folks we have, if we can deal with them in love, we will win. And of course, what we supply, you can't eat a computer chip and you cannot eat a, right. a, a video or a movie. Which by the way, all that takes water too. Yes, it takes it water to make a phone, takes water to make a computer chip, takes water to make a car, takes water to make a house. Most Somehow of the, using water to grow food is a bad idea. So well, that, and, and, and we're exporting water in the form of food. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous for them. I think the people may actually believe that there's, well, first off, remember, there's, there's 400 million people in the U.S., 40 million of them live in California. 19 out of 20 of those live 60 miles from the beach in the Bay Area or Southern California. They think cotton grows in the neck of an aspirin bottle. I don't know why else they would think that, that it's, you know, why don't we talk about replacing the San Francisco Peninsula to its natural pre-Columbian state? Yeah. All right. On that heavy note, um, I promise we will lighten it up for the last segment with Don Wright. Um, but we do appreciate your your very thoughtful um, uh, passion about these issues, Don. We're, you're listening to the Friant Watering Hole. I'm Johnny Amaral. I'm your host, sitting here with Don Wright from WaterRights.net, and we'll see you on the turn. 
Welcome back to our third and final segment with our special guest today, Don Wright from waterrights.net. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Don, um, and it's been a lot of fun having it you has. here. And we're going about to make it a little bit more fun. For our listeners who've, who follow the, the podcast, what we do for our third segment is, a, is an absolute complete ripoff from Norm MacDonald. Um, Norm MacDonald is a famous you know, com uh, stand-up comic, kind of an actor. He's had a couple podcasts he's made a run at. Um, happens to be my favorite stand-up of all time. Maybe one day he'll listen to this podcast and get a kick out of this. But we literally are taking jokes that he or his people have written and trying to deliver them in as funny a way as we know how. And um, and so this again, this is a this is a complete and total ripoff of Norm Macdonald. So you can't sue me. You have to get the credit. <laughs> so I'll start. So I'm going to hand you jokes, and you. I just might rip read you them. off for my podcast of you ripping McDonald's. This is a great idea. Do it. it. I think right. it's fun. Then you get more more Norm McDonald jokes out there. Of course, got to have. Okay, so these are Norm jokes. Some people also call them dad jokes, and you'll get the idea why. Here's the first one. I signed up for my company's 401k, but I don't think I can run that far. <laughs> <laughs> Now this one, my last guest, Matt Leiter from Teapot uh -huh. Dome, I gave this joke to him. He tried, but he didn't give it what I think needs to be given there on this last line. So let's see if you see what, know what I'm talking about here when I hand you this. Really give it something there on that last line. The man behind the voice of Tony the Tiger died at 64. His last words? I don't feel great. You got it. <laughs> Good one, Don. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jonah Hill, the actor, Jonah Hill, yeah. the kind of the big kid, he says his heart is broken over the fact that he was caught on camera calling a photographer a gay slur. And speaking of things that are broken, Jonah Hill's chair. <laughs> guy, could, guy could lose a few pounds, I think. Yeah. Bless okay. his heart. All right. Scientists have discovered a vegan spider in South Africa that will not eat ants. It refuses to eat ants even if it's starving, but it will eat tofu shaped like ants. <laughs> That's perfect for California, right? <laughs> that is, man. Where do they think wine spritzers come from? Anyway? <laughs> okay, a Chinese man spent 10 years, 10 years developing a suitcase that doubles as a motorized scooter. But there's no word on whether he had any particular hopes or dreams. I don't. That's a norm joke. You don't get it. I don't get that. I mean, one. he developed, he developed a suitcase ten, ten that's a motorized scooter, and yeah. the joke is, the joke is the last line. Yeah. No, I know. no. There's no telling if he has a. Nobody yeah. knows if he had any hopes or dreams, though. Well, yeah. It seems like the invention would be a hope, a dream. Yes, know, but together. yeah, I don't. I didn't connect. That's yeah. Right. Well. They're not all winners, He's, you know. Not no, all these jokes are winners. Well, you know, Norm's human. Probably partly my fault. I don't think so. I think it has. Can I interject something here? Yeah. I throw in a lot of jokes in my reports because otherwise I'm afraid it's going to get boring. Yeah. And I rarely does anybody laugh or do I get any feedback on them. I go back and I read it, I cringe. But the very leader of Ryan, Jason Phillips, throws out a lot of jokes during the meetings that nobody laughs at, and it just makes me feel better about myself. Yeah, I always remind Jason he's not funny. Yeah, but he is. It's just <laughs> you got to have a certain intellect. All right. It's a kind of a weird feeling watching the Flintstones lately. Really? How? 
with their Stone Age drive-in movies and their caveman bowling, it just seems so dated. <laughs> That's so I love that one. Okay. Three children were... <laughs> okay, this is already making me laugh. Three children were injured when a cannon exploded during a Civil War reenactment. <laughs> yeah, that but, is funny. <laughs> but to keep things authentic, the children had their limbs sawed off with rusty hacksaws. jeez. Oh, <laughs> that's just... That's not even right. We got a couple more. All right. Harriet Thompson, 91, finished running the Rock and Roll Marathon in San Diego in just over seven hours, becoming the oldest person to complete a marathon and setting a world record for the fastest time in her age group. The previous record was set by Mildred Kenilworth, who died during mile one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good record to beat, I guess. Norm's going dark on us here. Yeah. Well, speaking of going dark, there's another one. When I die, I want my body donated to science, but more specifically, a scientist who's working on bringing dead guys back to life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. All right, and to close it out, we're going to... We're gonna uh, we're gonna thank Don for coming today. Uh, traveled up from the, down from the mountains to come uh, join us in Fresno. Foothills. Uh, Don, in the foothills, yeah. Base of the foothills. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm gonna hand you this, and we're gonna close with this joke. But Don, I can't thank you enough for coming down uh, and being a part of this. Uh, anytime, make sure www.waterrights. That's w a t e r w r i g h t s. Very clever. Dot net. Uh, Waterrights.net. Um, if you're interested in California water issues and what's going, the decisions that are being made, go to his website, subscribe, get his reports because it's uh, very much worth it and it's very useful information. We appreciate you joining us today. So, Don, to close out this episode of the podcast, here's the last joke. Thank you. A Winchester parking enforcement officer stole $89,000 in quarters. How much laundry does this guy need to do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're listening to the water hole, the watering hole with Johnny Amaral. I'm your host, the Fryant Water Authority. Thank you again, Don, for being our guest today. God bless. Thank you.